Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Binge Boys is a podcast you're listening to right now. I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me on the Zoom is Lon Harris, and this is the only show where people talk about movies and TV and streaming. This is not an episode of Binge Boys. This is just a PSA to let you know Binge Boys is a podcast on which they talk about streaming shows. We're done for now. We'll come back later for a podcast. We just wanted to update you and make sure you remember that. And it's later. We're back for a podcast. There we go. How are you? It's Friday when we're recording it. Uh, what do you got going on this weekend? What's on tap for the weekend? Not much because I got a lot. I got a lot of work to do this weekend. I'm, I'm going to be working straight through. I got some writing projects going on. Uh, I got a call coming up after this podcast about some of those writing projects. So yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm barreling straight through this weekend. No no nice. real breaks for me. Gotcha. I'm glad to hear you're busy. Yeah, I got a, yeah. I got a little bit of work to do, but uh, believe you me, I'm gonna make some uh, make some room for some fun times as well. I wasn't aware that uh, your tree doctor business was both weekends and during the week. I know you're out there saving the trees uh, Monday through Friday. I'm a tree surgeon. I show up with a stethoscope. Yes, no, never mind. I should have mentioned. Have you ever seen uh, in Southern California? You know, we've got those really tall palm trees. And there are yes. clips of guys who, yeah, you know, like the, the people have to go work on the top of the palm tree mm-hmm. and they're like swinging. It looks, it's so dangerous because it's like, it's not like a tree, like a stable tree that's not moving or maybe swaying gently in the breeze that you could climb. This is a tree where when you are a heavy set person, like a 200 pound person on top of the tree, it's swinging wildly from side to side because you're throwing off the balance. It's very dangerous. Oh my goodness, please, if you are out there listening right now and on top of a palm tree as we speak, just take caution. Only those really tall ones, the regular size ones, you'll, you'll be fine. Let me amend my statement. If you're out there currently listening in your earbuds to Binge Boys while you're on top of one of the really tall palm trees, yeah. please take caution. If you're on a smaller or medium-sized palm tree, you know what? You can fucking do whatever you goddamn please. Exactly. Um, Thank you. We've bullshitted enough. Let's jump into the news. It's the news with Lon. So we got to talk about Dune. I saw. Have you seen we Dune? We got to talk Dune. Everybody we got to talk Dune. has Dune fever. Catch it. Okay. You got to get. You got to get the spice. The spice melange. 
I and am you a got, you inhale it, your eyes turn blue, and then you've got that dune fever. So let me ask you this, Lon. Is it going to be a box office boon for Dune? It looks like Dune's doing all right at the box office. That is our news story about Dune. We're not just here to talk about how I saw it, although that is important. You guys need to know that I saw it last night at the Chinese theater. I thought mm-hmm. it was really good. Okay, so the uh, but- commercials, they literally are saying, you must see it on the big screen. Agree or disagree? Yes, I would say if you're going to bother watching Dune at all, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a movie that is largely about scale and the the um, the massive vision of this movie and the incredible. It takes place in the distant future. Alex. We're talking the year ten thousand in Dune, and it's imagining a very different kind of universe than the one we live in now. And one thing that Denis Villeneuve, the director, is doing, I think, so well in the movie is really giving you an appreciation for, in this future, humanity has dwarfed itself by its machines. These ships and the spice harvesters and all this equipment, they're in this incredibly grim nightmarish almost industrialized future where everything is huge. It's like all this concrete brutalist architecture and everything is just dwarfing the people. They're very tiny at the feet of this ma- these massive structures. And right. so I think you, you get a much greater appreciation for that seeing it on a very big screen where you could really appreciate that scale as opposed to a laptop or a computer screen or a television. That I'm saying I'm not one of these purists that's like you must see it in a it would be great to see it in a theater if you prefer watching movies at home listen I think it's worth watching anywhere you want to watch it gotcha so Denny Villeneuve the uh the master of uh 80s sci-fi reboots and continuations well, it, it, people huh? keep comparing them and I, I get it because he's re he's revisiting Classic, iconic sci-fi from Blade the Runner, past. Dune. Right. Well, those are the only two. But I get the comparison <laughs> on that level. But they're very, very different. First of all, Blade Runner, a, a true sequel. So he's really following up the story yes. of the original Ridley Scott one. This one, mm-hmm. it's just he's making, he's going back to the source novel. It just so happens that in the 80s, David Lynch also adapted this novel. But right. this version is not really a remake of the Lynch Dune. It's another take on the Frank Herbert book Dune. And he's adding gotcha, a lot of yeah. stuff that is in like later sequels. Like one thing that I think is really interesting in the original book Dune, the idea mm-hmm. is uh, the Timothy Chalamet character, Paul Atreides. It's a it's a very like white saviory kind of narrative. He goes to this right. desert planet Arrakis. There is a prophecy among the native people of that planet, the Fremen, that one day a great leader will arise from off the planet and will lead them to glory. The Quitsats Hatterack, that character is called. Uh, and, and so that's – and then this guy, Paul Atreides, becomes that figure. And that it, it, kind mm. of a weird, almost like a last samurai, an avatar kind of thing. A little yes. unfortunate. But in later books, Frank Herbert introduced the idea that actually this prophecy was planted purposefully on the planet Arrakis thousands of years earlier in a power move by the Empire. Like, oh, one day we'll want to go take this planet over. Wouldn't it be convenient if they believed in a prophecy about somebody from off planet coming and like white savioring them? If I was an evil Empire, um, my you know what my motto would be? Power moves only. 
<laughs> all about those power moves, House Atreides. So yes. I like the baking that into the movie from the very beginning kind of gives it a different vibe than any of the other adaptations of Dune that we have yet seen. Anyway, I didn't want to get super into talking about the movie. It's great. Sure. I recommend it. We can talk. We can review it next week if you... I look forward to seeing it. It is also available on HBO Max right it's now. It's streaming right, right now, but what here, that's what leads me into our news story. It seems poised like it's going to open with around 30 to $32 million this weekend. IMAX mm-hmm. sales uh, make up about a quarter of that share. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it breaks $31.6 million, that would set a new Warner Brothers pandemic record. Right now, Godzilla versus Kong has been the most popular movie to come out both in theaters and on HBO Max on the same day. But Dune is in a position where it could break that record and become the biggest movie to get released on both at the same time. Also, another notable milestone, it's in shooting distance of 32.8 million. If it breaks Mm -hmm. that this weekend, it's the record opener for any Denis Villeneuve movie. Oh. oh, wow. What a boon Warner Brothers will croon a tune about Dune. And it's, this is important if you are a big fan, as I am, of the film and the books. This movie is only the first half of the novel, Dune. They have not greenlit part two. So Warner Brothers is waiting to see how part one does. They're going to look both at theaters and HBO Max. So even if a ton of people watch it online, it may still get a sequel. But obviously, this is a this is a big, expensive, large-scale movie. They don't just want to be green-lighting dunes all over the place. Earlier, I was driving past the billboard, a billboard for Dune, mm-hmm. uh, on, on, the, uh, on the world-famous Sunset Strip here in Los Angeles, which is the epicenter of billboards. Mm. Like... Yeah. And Hollywood in general, but the Sunset Strip, it's just like moving billboards, 3D billboards, electronic billboards. They try out, we get all the like new billboard tech first. Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, like Taco Bell tries out all like the new experimental shit in like three markets. You know, it's like Charlotte and Duluth got the new uh, Crunch Wrap Ultimate. Uh, we're like that, but only with billboard technology. Yeah, uh, Los Angeles, where you'll crash your car because you're looking at a billboard. Anyway, I was looking at the billboard for Dune, and it's like everybody is in this movie. It's like it's big cast. I was just like picking out like Javier Bardem is in this movie. Oh, ah, yeah, Stilgar, leader of the Fremen, or leader of one big community of Fremen, I should say. Uh, you know, it's really a standout in this. Huh? Jason Momoa. Okay. Jason Momoa plays Duncan Idaho, who's like a mentor and the guy who like trained Paul Atreides, Timothy Chalamet's character while he was growing mm-hmm. up. And he's also like one of the fiercest warriors for House Atreides, right. the good guys. Uh, real ton of personality, really fun, very oh, cool. charismatic performance. Like this is why you hire a Momoa. It's like exactly yeah, and- the right fit for a guy like him. And it looks like he's going, I mean, just judging by the commercials, he's going head-to-head with Dave Bautista again, like they are. Well, yeah, well, Dave Bautista is sort of his counterpart from the bad guy, Baron Harkonnen. He's he's the nephew of Stellan Skarsgård's villain character, Baron Harkonnen, uh, the Beast Raban. That's, gotcha. That's who, gotcha. That's who Bautista's. And not to be confused with Paco Raban. No, not to be confused. Very different Rabans. Yes, uh, they're also uh, foes on the television show C, 
on Apple yes, Plus. That's true. They are the they're two chieftains who cannot see on C. Listen, if you want a couple of if you want a couple of uh, beefy foes, you could do a lot worse than Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista. Like that'd be their grumpy old men franchise, just beefy, beefy old foes. foes. Beefy <laughs> old foes. <laughs> they just get on each other. Ooh, I don't like that guy. They're like neighbors in Minnesota. I, I really like that, like a new take on like the uh, on like spy and like fighting genre, like you know yeah. action flicks. Uh, well, I guess the Expendables. Oh no, is kind I of was that. just saying. I, I like. I think more more a both of those guys have comic chops. We think of them as action guys for obvious reasons. They're big. Mm-hmm. They're beefy. Yes, uh, but. They're both very. They're both funny. That's why I like the idea of yeah. They're just like neighbors in the Midwest who just go just rankle each other. You know, like just I can't stand that guy. We're beefy old foes. I like that. You know what? It's a rivalry. You know the comic the the rivalry that gets more and more intense as the movie goes along. A tin a tin men take, if you will. You remember sure. tin men? People don't remember. Yes, tin I remember men. tin men. It was Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, Danny DeVito. Yeah, um, Lon, you and I will talk offline, and we'll uh, we'll create a pitch deck for uh, beefy old foes. Yeah, beefy old foes. I'm gonna right. go. It's like it's Tin Men meets Grumpy Old Men. They're beefy old foes. Honestly, you could sell a movie with just those two guys, like a comedy. Those two guys, and like I, I'm already my ears have perked up. I'm already interested. Oh, here's one note that automatically will come from the studios. You gotta throw in a precocious child. <laughs> It's true. I took a sip of my drink right as you made that point, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Some some sort of, well, somebody's got to like, while they're fighting, somebody's got to like turn to somebody else and be like, well, that happened. You know, like you need that character. And like seen it all jaded teen would work really well right there. And you know how the grumpy old men, um, I, I like, I think they were, they were vying for the affections of Anne Margaret or something. Uh, yeah, well, I, I know in one of them it's Sophia Loren, and then Anne uh-huh. Margaret sounds like maybe it's the other, maybe like that's one, and then the other one is two. Yeah, so Dave Batista and uh, and Jason Momoa would be vying for Naomi Watts. I don't know. All right. Yeah, you know, well, Sasha Banks, somebody from the from the wrestling world. Sure. Uh, Hayden Christensen will reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker in the Disney Plus live action series Ahsoka. That, of course, stars Rosario Dawson as the fan-favorite character Ahsoka Tano. She was introduced mm-hmm. in... We saw Rosario Dawson play the character in The Mandalorian. character yes. was first introduced as a cartoon in the Clone Wars series. It's not clear how Anakin's going to actually fit in. My guess on this is Force Ghost, because Mandalorian, Ahsoka, all of the shows in that little pocket of the Star Wars universe are set five years after Return of the Jedi. So Darth Vader is dead. Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. he waved hello while everybody was singing the Yub Nub song as a Force ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so presumably, you know, we on the moon of Endor, when they're having their big party, he's there. In so Return presumably Jedi, he yeah. now can appear uh, to whoever he wants as a ghost. So I guess Ahsoka and Anakin will confer that way. That would be my guess. We don't have confirmation on that. That's just what I'm thinking. Force ghosts, less spooky than a lot of other ghosts. They're not into haunting. They're 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 more into mentorship and advice. Yeah. So like, it's also you know, why would I want advice from you? You died. You were like really powerful, and you still couldn't stay alive. Yeah, your bitch ass got smoked. Get the fuck out of here, Force Ghost. Yeah, like, I'll take I don't, my like, advice from live guys. Anakin Skywalker, especially, like, kind of went out like a punk, like. Anakin had the high ground. Why wouldn't I want to talk to him? 
I only want to yeah. talk about. I only want to talk to people who had the high ground. Get the fuck out my face, yeah. Force Ghost. It's, it's go, sad. Sad, really. Go go back to space heaven. <laughs> that's where that's where they come down from. They come down from space heaven. It's space, how does the they, problem with space heaven is it's oh how is it always above you because it's you know in three in the three dimensional void of space. True. True. Hard to know where heaven versus hell would be. They're both in our imaginations. Oh, how yeah. dare you, Hal? I know where you're going after you died just because of what you now said on our podcast. The hot place. Yeah. The bad place. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe uh, Anyway, so, uh, you know, very excited. That, that means two, two Disney Plus Star Wars series are going to feature uh, Hayden in some way. Uh, we also know he is going to appear in some capacity on the Obi-Wan series. Of course, that is set between the prequels and the main three, the original three Star Wars movies. So Darth Vader is alive, but he's Darth Vader, and he doesn't know where Obi-Wan is. You know, like, when New Hope starts, Darth Vader's not, he he doesn't know where Obi-Wan's hiding out. So he can't have just gone to Tatooine to see him. Yeah, because Obi-Wan is hiding out like a punk-ass coward. <laughs> yeah, he's calling himself Old Ben Kenobi and living in a cave. He was yeah, like, no sh- okay, we got to keep this baby secret. We can't let his father know where he is. So I'm going to take him to the planet his father is from to live in the house where his father grew up, and then I'm going to move into a cave just down the way. This is a perfect plan. Nobody would ever suspect to go back to their own house <laughs> look for their son. Who Let I me ask you this. I, this has been talked about plenty of times. This is nothing new, but is it true or am I a little bit off here in saying that Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Luke Skywalker are three punk-ass bitches who punked out and went into hiding? I mean, the entire Jedi philosophy is kind of like be a punk ass bitch. Like we had this this cool idea of of Jedi from the main trilogy because yeah. we didn't really see very much of them. They were very mysterious. Luke yes. wanted to become one, but we really had very limited experience with them. And we're getting a lot of them in the prequels and they're getting a lot of advance warning that things are not going well and they just kind of don't do anything. There's a lot of council meetings. There's a lot of like mm, Consider this problem, I will. Like, well, that's, but that doesn't do a lot of good. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it's that, it doesn't reflect very well on the Jedi Order. Cowards, the whole lot. As of an them. order. Speaking as an order. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Screw those cowards. This is the episode where Hal turns to the dark side and becomes a Sith. You know what? I might be Team Sith. I mean, there's two of like, us, and there, there are, there's a rule of two, so that's acceptable. Oh, so you're a Jedi? Well, one of us would be the Sith Master, and the other would be the Sith Apprentice. All right, yeah. Listen, I'll, if you want to study under me, great, or I'll be your apprentice. I don't care I feel like I know a lot more about this stuff than you. I'm just going to throw that All right. <laughs> All right, show, show me the way. Show me the way. <laughs> uh, well, after this, we'll catch up. I'll tell you about Darth Plagueis the Wise. Uh, All right, so maybe we rule the galaxy together. Our next story, uh, we're saying goodbye uh, to, to move from a, a fun, silly story to something a little, a little sad. i got to bring it down okay, for a moment. let me adjust. 
Yes. Uh, Peter Scolari, the beloved mm. star of Bosom Buddies. Newhart, I most recently was enjoying him on Evil, the CBS Supernatural procedural, has passed away at the age of 66. He, uh, he had been suffering from cancer for the last two years. He won an oh. Emmy in 2016 for his portrayal of Hannah's father, Ted, on Girls. Uh, I really like that portrayal, uh, actually, yeah. um, because um, he played, uh, you know, an older gentleman who uh, finally, you know, came out of the closet to live his truth. And I thought it was a fun and funny and silly, but also sensitive portrayal of uh, someone uh, accepting who they are in their older age. So I really liked him on Girls. Yeah, I mean, just a, a fixture of TV going back to like uh, for yeah. as long as I can remember. I mean, Bosom Buddies, oh, yeah. I was Him a and young Tom Hanks on Bosom yeah. Buddies. Uh, although, uh, Bosom Buddies, is it, uh, I don't know if it, uh, you know, probably a little problematic. Uh, Are you doing the, uh, could, you couldn't make Bosom Buddies today? No, you definitely, well, I think, honestly, here's the thing I'm going to say. I think you could make Bosom Buddies today, but I think it would have to be, this would be baked into the show, would be that it, it it is about how bad a decision is for all of these. You're like, Bosom Buddies, the show that they made, for those of you who are too young to remember Bosom Buddies, yeah. probably most of you, it was about two guys, they were broke, I guess, they couldn't find a place they could afford to live except for this one apartment in building City. in New York, and it was, this, this place was in their budget, it was a nice apartment, but... Only women were allowed to live in the building, so they. What kind of weird sexist like? I guess that I guess that was. I guess that was a, a thing. thing a long time ago. Yeah, like I guess in the in the early eighties, that was not as out Sorry, of play. Like, boys, this building's ladies only. Yeah, today that would be really weird, but in that at that at that era, it wasn't that weird. So. That it was just accepted, and the fact that they used the fact that they were secretly guys, but they were getting to know all of their neighbors as women to like a lot of the conflict was they wanted to date, they were attracted to these women, but they were getting to know these women as women, and so it was like the some like it hot thing. And I don't think you could do that right. today, I think you'd have to tweak it, uh huh. But I think you could come up with a way to tweak it so that it would still be funny in 2021. Where it would just be like they're learning so much about women that they didn't know, and you would focus on that part instead of the part that they were creeping on the women. Yeah, I mean, I think Tootsie is, is still holds up to to an extent. Yes. Yeah, right. everything though. Like you look at anything from like seventy percent of Tootsie, I think holds up really nicely. But yeah, there, yeah. there. If you go back, there, there are moments, there are scenes. Some things don't necessarily play sure. as well. Today, everything from the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, it is it is not hard to find like a problematic scene in anything that's like pre twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's it's weird how it goes through phases. Like in the seventies, stuff's not really that bad, and then the eighties becomes like much worse all of a sudden, and yeah. then like the nineties sort of gets a little better, and then the early aughts becomes horrific again. Like it's weird how <laughs> our how tastes change over time. Totally. Uh, um, anyway, but yeah, so Peter anyway, Scolari, uh, just a, yes. a fixture, a fixture in uh, TV and entertainment over the years. Uh, uh, gone too soon. Yeah, will be missed. HBO and David Chase are exploring a potential Many Saints of Newark series. Now, this would this would be after the movie, but long before The Sopranos, set in the same era, late '60s, early '70s. And I mean, I feel like. For those of you who watch the film, you could kind of see some of the threads that they'll keep pulling through in this mm-hmm. new. It would be the rise of 
Tony and his crew in prominence. You would follow right. Leslie Odom Jr. and those characters in the Central Ward and, and their their new numbers racket or whatever, and the growing tension with, you know, the DeMeo crew and Dickie Moltisanti and all of those people. Uh, a Warner Media exec spoke with Deadline and said the company's very happy with the, the movie's performance. They were already talking to David Chase. He and Terrence Winter, who worked on Sopranos, he was another Sopranos collaborator. Apparently, they've already been knocking around these ideas. There was some thought that maybe it could be another film, but now it looks like it's going to be a show. So in some way, we'll get, you know, maybe Michael Gandolfini back and we'll do more of Young Tony Soprano and the Young Tony Soprano Chronicles. How are your thoughts? So we're coming back for some more Gabagool. Oh, yes, second helpings of Gabagool. Listen, I'm not full. I want a little more. <laughs> I agree. I, I that, A lot of people are very down on Many Saints of Newark. Uh, I, 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 it's not a perfect movie. I definitely see. You liked it more than I did. I liked it a lot more than most people. I definitely see some of the issues. I agree that towards the end, a lot of the storytelling feels a little bit rushed. Like they had set up so much that they didn't have quite enough time to get through. That, I think, is part of the appeal of this idea is that they'll have more time to play out some of these scenarios that maybe they hustled through in the show in the movie. But I, I really as a as a look, you know, in the early I, I liked it as a reflection and a prologue for the show. And I thought it mirrored some of the themes and ideas of the show in interesting ways. And I'm definitely looking forward to more David Chase getting to play around in this particular sandbox for sure. To explore uh, these characters that much more in that world, you know, I'm in for it. Sopranos is too good. Uh, if if there's a chance to, uh, to to do it, yeah, do it. I just really hope they recast uh, the guy playing Silvio and then Billy Magnuson, who's an actor I really like in a lot of other stuff. But as Paulie Walnuts, I it just uh, I didn't those two those two performances felt too big. They felt like an mm-hmm. SNL sketch in this movie that otherwise was more grounded and real, and I didn't care for it. But other than then recasting those two parts, I'm in for like just keep going. I'm just like let, let's go, I'm, let's do it. You know, I feel like Billy Magnuson is uh, just a little too uh, Nordic looking. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it's just like it, get young Stellan Skarsgård, sure, for sure, of course, I see. It. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and also, you know, I'm a North Jersey guy. I grew up right there. Uh, listen, um, Bada Bing, the club, it's actually a strip club mm-hmm. on Route 17 in New Jersey. I wouldn't uh, have brought this up unless, uh, both of us had a lot of authentic New Jersey cred. That's the only yeah. reason I feel like we are licensed to talk about this. Dolls. You grew up Bada in North Bing. Jersey. I grew up in South Jersey. We're covering the entire state. We've got very yeah. good Jersey coverage on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, so shout out to Bada Bing, a.k.a. Satin Dolls. Oh, is that the real name of the Bada Bing? That's the, the satin real dolls? name. Satin Dolls. Are, 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 are you a Satin 17. Dolls regular? I, I, You know what? Because Have of the show. Have you patronized the Satin Dolls? Uh, I did go to Satin Dolls. Yeah. Now, okay. One more question then before we move on. Yes. Compare and contrast. The show's bada bing, the interior, versus the real satin dolls on like a on like a hot Saturday night. Well, <laughs> from like my one time there, yeah. out, out of curiosity, it looked basically the same. Yeah. All right. That's what I like yeah. to hear. So they're cap. You yeah. would say they're capturing the re the real uh, atmosphere of the place on the show. I mean, I didn't see like organized crime members there or people. No, no, that's I not what I'm asking. I'm just saying, like, like a lot. Because here's the thing: 
I, I, I have not, I do not have extensive, I have some real world strip club experience, but I would not say mm-hmm. it's extensive. I maybe been in my, in my entire 42 years on this planet, maybe four times I've been to a strip mm-hmm. club, maybe five, four or five times. And sure. In my experience, other than Las Vegas, one time I went in Las Vegas and it was like huge and packed and it was a very different, in Los Angeles, they're always empty and weird and sad and it's a, sure. it's a very odd, uncomfortable vibe, which is why mm-hmm. I have not patronized these places more frequently because who doesn't love nudity? We all love nudity. Uh, oh, yeah. Yet on TV and in film, obviously strip clubs in tons of crime shows or whatever, always just, just bustling, just, just packed with people, exciting. It looks like a fun place to go. And then you go to the real world counterpart. And it's like, my God, what am I doing with my life? So that was what, yes. that's why I was asking. Cause the, the bada bing in the Sopranos, sometimes it's a little empty if it's during the day or whatever, but they also, they make it look like it's a fun vibe. Yeah, it was empty-ish. It, no, and I, mean, I wouldn't it, feel like North Jersey Strip Club would be in real life. My my imagination of what a North Jersey Strip Club would be not not like the Bada Bing on the show. Yeah, it was. Listen, it, it wasn't hustle and bustle, but I'm just like, oh, I want to see the place that the th- thing was made, and it was. Yeah, I'm like, okay, did that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Maybe this uh, is our new show. Maybe we just like we're talking about our strip. We're reviewing strip clubs. I mean, th- there oh, are those. Could be our, that could be our Patreon. There are like there are websites like I'm sure like Yelp has strip club reviews. If you went there, be a good feature maybe for this podcast. We're going to read like three star strip club reviews. From there Yelp. is actually uh, a fun one in Los Angeles called Jumbo's Clown Room. Yeah. Okay. Well, first that, off, I've been there the a few best times. Name. Yeah, I don't that one count is the best that. Name. And it's also, it's just kind of like a hipster bar that also has stripping in it. But they're not even, they're they're wearing pasties. And it's not, it's yeah. less like a strip club, but it's more like girls get up and dance while you're drinking at this dive bar is really the vibe yeah. of Jumbo's Clown Room. Courtney shout Love, out, the famous story is, the famous the story is that Courtney Love used to dance at Jumbo's Clown Room. Is that true? Courtney I don't Love. know. That's an that's a that's an apocryphal LA story. Oh, and uh, who's the uh, writer of uh, Juno? Um, Diablo Cody. Name? Diablo Cody. Yeah. Well, she was definitely she, a stripper. Is the story that she was a jumbo's dancer? I'm I'm wondering because that was the Juno sure. story where she was uh, stripping and then she wrote this screenplay and now she's yeah. an Oscar winning screenwriter. But I don't know if that was Jumbo's. I'd be surprised. Anyway, you was. can hear more about the uh, <laughs> more of our saucy uh, gentlemen's club talk on our Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that nobody's signing up for that Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two two two, mi- two like uh, uh, middle aged dudes just fucking horn it horn horn it. like uh, Bob's classy lady. In Van Nuys. It's uh, the spot. What a spot. <laughs> that definitely doesn't exist anymore. That was a real Topless. place in the valley. I've never been there, but when I was in college, Topless we saw that. Ladies, bottomless Bob's, Bob's classy lady. Like <laughs> the least classy possible name for an establishment. Bob's classy lady. Uh, he doth protest too much. Uh, no, trust me, I'm it's classy. <laughs> All right, Bob. Not so cl- Bob, is it really classy? It's oh, it's classy. Oh, yeah. Put that in the name. It's so classy. I put classy in the name. It is Bob, Bob's the classy. Carpets haven't been cleaned in two years. That's, listen, you think I want some low-class cleaning crew coming in here? This is Bob's classy lady. Bob. I only want people to come in and clean the carpet in tuxedos and gowns, and they won't agree. Bob, this glass is dirty. That's, well, listen, 
you know, what could be more day class A than to wash a glass? Who who wants to soil their hands washing a glass? I only have high-ranking European aristocracy working at the behind the scenes here. It's classy. Bob, the Board of Health just gave you a C. <laughs> I don't, I'm so classy, I don't recognize the low-class Los Angeles County Board of Health. I only recognize the Sausalito Board of Health. What do they have to say? You know what? They haven't weighed in yet, so we'll have to find out. Well, you'll let me know when you hear back from Sausalito. I don't know why Bob, Bob is in the Valley. He has a New York accent, folks. Just go with Listen, it. Listen, he's a transplant. A lot of transplants here in <laughs> For LA. some reason, in my head, an old dirtbag is always from, like, the Bronx. That's just where... That's just where they're from. That checks out. That checks yeah, out. Yeah, I think, I think that scans. Uh, Netflix canceled Why the Last Man with a few weeks left in season one. I'm not even done watching season one. I have kept up oh. with it. I have been enjoying it. They have canceled it out from under me before I could even finish the first season. Now, this was not just a numbers decision. A lot of people hear that and they think the show must have been doing very bad. That is not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. They had to make a decision. This is one of those shows that it just it was suffering constant delays. They had issues with the casting. Barry Kilgan was going to play the main guy. He left mm-hmm. the project. So Ben Schnetzer, I believe is his name, is stepped in. That caused Ooh. some delays. There was more reshuffling. It changed showrunners at one point. Then, of course, COVID happened. So what happened with all of those delays was they had to make a decision about whether to renew the cast's contracts by October 15th, which was last week, which just Ooh. happened to be in the middle of season one. And so FX decided they couldn't, based on the numbers they had at this early point, they couldn't pull the trigger. It's an expensive show. Netflix or FX on Hulu? FX on Hulu. Okay. FX. FX on Hulu, quote unquote, that's what they're calling it. Oh, it sounded like you were saying Netflix. No, I'm sorry. FX. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was an FX show. Even before right. FX and Hulu were owned by the same company, this was developed by FX. So this, so FX owns this show. They produced it themselves. They are canceling mm-hmm. it. So normally mm-hmm. that would be the death sentence. Like it's done on their network. It wasn't produced by an outside production company. The one thing that gives us hope here is that Why the Last Man was a comic book that is a Vertigo comic, which is owned by DC Comics, which means Warner Media also already owns a stake in this show because it's Mm. DC. So there is still hope that if Warner wanted to keep going, we could land this at HBO Max. So we'll wait till season one ends, and then we'll probably hear if Warner Media has made a decision about whether to port this over and make season two an HBO Max original. Otherwise, that's probably the end for Why the Last Man. Gotcha. Yeah, when I heard this news about why the last man, I dropped to my knees and said, "Why the last man?" Did you? Are you? Are, are you? Are you, was that a joke, or are you really into this show? No, that was a joke. I thought this. Uh, I thought this show was okay. We talked about this show. We talked um, about it. Yeah, I, I've been keeping yeah, up with th- it. There's I, some I characters can... I like, but then again, it like leaps over so much of the. Of the world of the post-apocalyptic world building, I felt like we went from like zero to like the midst of an apocalypse a little too quick. Um, Scenarios, it's it's getting better, and I can see how with more time it could really grow into something good. I'm hoping it it ends up on HBO Max, but it does. I mean, to me, this whole situation raises an interesting question. Uh, One thing that I saw people tweeting a lot after this 
decision was made was, mm-hmm. oh, well, now, like, either, oh, I can't believe I wasted my time, or, well, now I'm not going to bother going back and starting this show because I know it won't be going on. And that's such a weird... I don't. I don't agree with that. Just as a person, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like that's not how I view shows. I think it's just odd. Like some shows only went for one season. Like Freaks and Geeks only went for one season, and we all agree that it's great. Like Star Trek yeah. almost got canceled after like its first season and only ran for a few seasons. Like like we mm-hmm. we didn't. The idea that a show only has value if it goes on for a long time and then finishes its story is such a weird modern idea. Yeah, Deadwood died an untimely death. Yeah, and... like a lot of great shows that I like only made it a few seasons. And and yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean like don't you wouldn't ever want to start that show and just enjoy it for what it was. Like I I don't I don't know. I'm I I I don't think that just be if, if why the last man ends after this first season we never see the rest of the story like this season had value. It's worth watching. Purely on its own. It just links all back to this thing mm-hmm. that keeps happening where uh, we're, we're really taking off stories, not just TV, film too. And it's this idea that the story itself is it like movies and shows don't exist to tell a story of their own. They only exist as like one link in this chain. Like the only reason to watch the new Marvel movie is because you got to find out everything you need to know for the next Marvel movie and then the next Uh Marvel movie so you understand the show that's based on that movie and everything just becomes like this self-fulfilling, like the the point of the story is that the story is ongoing. And like, I like an ongoing story. I like a shared universe, but these these things should have their own individual value. Like Thor Ragnarok exists as its own nice thing independent of the franchise that it exists within. And and like, I don't, you don't want to lose that, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It, it is a little bit of a rat race having to be like, oh, a completionist and get uh, ever and tick all the boxes of okay, I've I've watched all the content from this IP that I, that is that defines a huge part of my fandom. No, like why, why the Last Man? It is an interesting story, and I've I I watched. Uh, I think two episodes of it, and there were some uh, fascinating characters to latch onto, and some interesting uh, storylines that are well executed. I wouldn't say it was a perfect show, I, no, uh, but you've watched more of it. But like, what you know, what is a perfect show? But yeah, it absolutely has value, and um, I wouldn't take the budgetary interests of a network making these huge financial decisions as the absolute beat all end all quality. Of whether one should yeah, watch a show. It also it also turns TV viewing into like placing bets, like it's gambling, like, oh, where I've only got a set number of hours to watch and I gotta it, put my chips on like a thing that I think is gonna yes, win. But yes, but there are so many options. So like I agree with you, but No, I know, but I'm saying like, but pick pick what you think is gonna be the most enriching and engaging and what you're gonna like the best, not what you think has the most lun- chances of longevity. Like we are all gambling uh, with our time always. Every, you know, that's just fucking life, man. Hey, I yep. don't want to get too deep with you folks, but that's just fucking life, man. Everything Whoa, you decide huh. to do, that's an opportunity cost of some shit you ain't doing, brother. Preach, guru. I like that. That's a good metaphor, like gambling with your time. Like, how are you going to push all your chips in on this, on this relationship? You need the, the power principle by Lon Harris. There you go. Maximize your time. Dude, 
This is a and win fucking, the game of life. This is a brilliant fucking grift. Okay, everybody, delete this podcast and forget that I pitched this as a grift because I'm going to come back and pitch this for real. But if you could combine oh, yeah. a gambling, like how to gamble, how to win at blackjack and poker with a self improvement, like how to win at life, if you could combine all that into one like six part course for the low low price of just uh, forty five hundred dollars, we accept all major credit cards. Woo-hoo! You oh, would be man. in Lula Rich heaven. Yeah, let me be a lieutenant in your pyramid scheme, please. Lula Rich, Lula Rich, Lula Rich is the company. Lula Rich Lula is the docu. Lula Rich is the uh, yeah, is the docu series. Yeah. Anyway, good idea by Lon. Everybody else, forget that I said that, and don't, nobody clip this audio to play in the four-part Amazon Prime expose about the multi-level marketing scheme I'm about to launch. Because if you, this podcast is this is evidence right now, it's true. This is like this is state's evidence. I just laid out the entire the entire grift I'm about to pull. So please, everybody, don't save this. If the feds get a hold of this audio, you're going to be wearing an orange jumpsuit. Yeah, you guys have to delete. <laughs> Listen, I think this is how the law works. I think if the FBI is listening to this right now, you guys have to delete this. I'm a sovereign citizen. All Uh-oh. right, let's move on. You might have to fake your own death. I think, listen, if I have to, we, we, we have a plan in place. Chinese streamer Yuku. Yuku, Yuko, Yuku. This is, listen, and I'm not butchering like Mandarin. It's written out in English. I just can't read it. Yuku right. uh, took some heat this week. They're introducing, uh, this was really funny. They're introducing a new game show. Now, and some, I saw multiple, there were multiple different articles about this. Some say okay. the show is called Games Victory. Others say the show is called Squid's Victory. In yeah. either case, the logo, the iconography, a lot of the post, a lot of the marketing materials obviously designed right, to I'm mirror Netflix's Squid Game. Uh, the game is going to feature adults playing a variety of schoolyard kids-inspired games, but, you know, larger-than-life adult versions of the games. Now, a lot of people were coming out and accusing them of ripping off Squid Game and just generally making fun of them uh, for such a blatant sort of bootleg. Uh, the, the production company and the streamer is now saying... Hey, look, this isn't the final marketing material. This is just early concept art. It's not just going to be a blatant ripoff of Squid Game. So we'll see what's going to happen. This is not This is not a show that will likely make it to the U.S. This is just a, a Chinese game show. Is the game show already being played? No, it's, it, this was, it was like they were marketing it. Like the first ads right. came out for it, and everybody was like, you guys are obviously just doing a Squid Game. Yeah, and definitely I, and some I, of the, the color scheme. And, yeah, and I, and yeah, I think we'll probably start seeing this more and more. Like Squid Game is a very rare in 2021, like a true global Water phenomenon. moment, yeah. And, and those are rare enough now that, that there's going to be a lot of attempts to capitalize on the runaway success of Squid Game. I mean, uh, the memification and the Halloween costumes have been a bonanza. Well, that's, I think, I mean, I think you've actually touched on a big part of what made Squid Game Squid Game, which is that it has, like, we we watch so much content, so much stuff just pours over us, just, just in and out our eyeballs. And so much of this content is so similar. I'm watching, just a brief digression, I'm watching this uh, Danish serial killer show on Netflix right now called The Chestnut Man. And it's good. I'm not complaining about it. It's good. I'm enjoying it. I'm watching the whole thing because I like it. But, sure. 
you would not know the difference between this and literally 10 other Nordic noir Netflix thrillers I've watched over the last few years. They're all good-looking people in Scandinavian homes talking a Scandinavian language about this clue or that clue or what did this neighbor say or where was that neighbor or this trauma from that year. It's all very similar. And Squid Game, there isn't really – we watched that one other Japanese show, Alice in Borderland, that was thematically kind of similar but didn't look like Squid Game. That It's so distinctive that even in six months, if somebody says Squid Game to you, you're at least going to remember the mask with the circle on it or the front man or the, they the crazy the hell out of it. robot yep. girl with the eyeballs who's shooting people playing red light, green, green light. track suits. Yep. Right. It's just full of immediately memorable aesthetic iconography. And I think that is part of the secret. Like it sticks in your brain. And when you see it, you're like, I'm curious to know what this is just based on the fact that it's made an immediate visual impression. And I will tell you, uh, the Koreans are better at that than we are. Like a lot of Korean shows and and have that that kind of like core, like Kingdom too is another one of these like cool Korean shows. It's just like visually memorable. It's like it's period Mm -hmm. Korean sword fighting and combat, but zombies. And it's just like this mix of ingredients that's very distinctive. Absolutely. I mean, culturally, I, I don't know if the same could be said for K-pop, but you have like so much breaking oh, yeah. through stylistically and totally. bra- like branding wise. Um, that's really just cool. And like, even though there's like a language barrier, it speaks to us. Um, it transcends. So, uh, you know, the, some uh, some solid entertainment. So there you go. I know Korea has been waiting for a shout out from two American white guys. Well, there you go. Props to you, Korea. You're getting it done. You got it. Hey, I also enjoy your barbecue. Good job. Yeah, I I, I enjoy bibimbap, bulgogi, etc. <laughs> yeah. etc. Oh, et love, uh, love that bulgogi. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. You'll find me in Cape Town. <laughs> uh, get my grub on. You ever um, been to uh, Chosin Galbi, that place on Olympic? Oh yeah, that's like a high end, fancier. Uh, that's a it's a pretty good one. It's one of the one of the higher end. That was the first place I ever had Korean barbecue, and it is man, folks. There's like a spicy pork bulgogi thing they do oh, there that is you like could do knock a lot your, worse than knock uh, your yeah. socks off your ass. Heck Fantastic. yeah! And uh, oh, did you enjoy the uh, the Rami Malek and Pete Davidson uh, Squid Game sketch directed by my friend Mike Diva? Congratulations to Mike Diva, oh, nice. former former YouTube filmmaker. Mike Diva now has moved on. He he directed a lot of the uh, great. I think you should leave moments as well shark the shark tank i think you should leave sketch same director the you know like the i just need wine and popcorn like that's that was also a mike diva oh yeah totally Uh, yeah i enjoyed i did i thought i thought it was funny i i enjoyed it i thought he got good good performances out of uh rami malik and pete davidson and uh not not my not my genre of music not my genre of sketch but i enjoyed Mm -hmm. it anyway like usually the snl like Hey, we made a song about this trending topic. I'm like, what else did they do? But that one I thought was pretty fun. Right on. And I'm not just saying that because I've hung out with the guy who made it. Apple renewed the behind-the-scenes video game workplace comedy Mythic Quest for two more seasons. That's going to take it through season four. Season four. You are, have you watched Mythic Quest? Are you a fan? 
I uh, haven't watched a moment of the program. Allow me to recommend it to you, not just you, but the listening. Yes. This was a show I watched before we were making the Binge Boys program. Actually, I think mm-hmm. probably season two probably overlapped and I just didn't mention it, but. Gotcha. Very funny show, underrated show. It is a, it's set at a company. They make a like multiplayer, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's just like uh, the, the sort of competing big personalities. Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny co-created it and stars mm-hmm. in it. But it's got a very good cast. F. Murray Abraham is in there. Danny Pudi. Putty. Putty from Pudi. Community. Pudi from Community is in there. Uh, Charlotte Nickdow. She's also very funny in there. Ashley Birch. Great cast. Uh, really good right show. On. And and not like a, a little bit like what I would say maybe only murders in the building in the – it, there is more going on. It is very funny, but it is not just goofy yuck yuck laughs. There's there's a there's a thoughtfulness to it and a and a sensitivity and an insight about who these people are and their kind of the way that they collaborate and uh, it, it's got more to say than just than just chuckles. So I recommend it. Gotcha. And if you're one of those people that only wants to watch a show because it's coming back, two more seasons, so you're going to get at least four. Years of Mythic Quest. Does, does the renewal of Mythic Quest make up for how crestfallen you were over Why the Last Man? Uh, no, because I'm still, like, I really like the comic Why the Last Man. And part of what, like, they were trying to make a movie out of it for years. And part of what was cool about the show was that, oh, they're going to get this much bigger canvas. And, and they did. They got mm-hmm. one season, which is longer than a movie. But... It really, like, it would be cool to see them get to really explore this world and, and the ongoing, you know, impact of this event as opposed to, you know, wrap, wrap it up what they can do in just one year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see them get it. I'm hoping HBO steps up and gives them at least one more, one more year. Step up, HBO. Step up to the streets, HBO. <laughs> it's the sequel. Step up to the streets. Yeah, step up to, colon, the streets. Uh, I also sent you a trailer. I should note for the people listening, uh, this is not a streaming trailer. This is a theatrical film from Universal. It's coming out in February. There is a a big streaming trailer this week. It is for that movie Red Notice. You know, that The Rock, uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Ryan Reynolds thing. I just don't I just so I I can't I don't care about that. It's the guy who wrote okay. and directed Skyscraper and Central Intelligence. Right. And those movies just don't do anything for me. It's another one of those like you can see the, the, the jokes coming a mile. It just seems like really generic. I don't know. Yes. Folks, have you seen the Red Notice trailer? I don't it, it's just nothing is it, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I remember the teaser trailer from uh, a, a little while back. Yeah, it's more of the same. It's like The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, and it's like that Just Hobbs and Shaw, like handsome and cheeky and beautiful, and yeah. We gotta work together, but I'm irritated by you for unspecified reasons. You know, it's just like that 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 bet beat over and over again, and then they're yes. chasing. You know, she Wonder Woman's always one step ahead. That that rapscallion. Oh man, I hope she will. She catch up to Deadpool and Black Adam. No, it's Black, Black Adam and Deadpool have to catch up to Wonder Woman. They're just, they're, oh boy! She, the Rock is the FBI profiler, and he's chasing Gal Gadot, and uh, she to get back at him frames him 
for the art heist. So he is like disavowed by the U.S. government. So he's got to catch her to prove his innocence. And in order to do that, he joins forces with another art thief played by Ryan Reynolds. And those Mm -hmm. two, Ryan Reynolds is in because he's going to take out his chief rival and The Rock is going to like prove his innocence. So they've got to work together. (sighs) Then you midnight run around the world with them bickering while they're chasing this. You didn't want to talk about it, but you're talking about the whole thing. It's become all about that one. Listen, another eight things about Red Notice, folks. Yeah, I don't know. You're well, right. Listen, I you don't. can keep your you can keep your red notice because I'm a beefy old foes guy. That's right. I forget red notice. Let's move right into beefy old foes. No, so instead of that, I sent you the trailer for the new Michael Bay film, Ambulance. Uh, this uh, is Jake Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul Mateen. They uh, rob a bank, uh, then to get away, they hijack an ambulance that Isaac Gonzalez is in. Uh, and they're like, get, get, we got to stay one step ahead of the Poe. It's just funny. Like uh, this, I'm probably going to, this is probably, uh, like just like Isaac and like the most beautiful people are like in real life is an ambulance driver. Are you going to find an ambulance driver who looks like Isaac Gonzalez? It's if this was really happening and then it was on the news, you saw these three people getting taken out of this ambulance at the end of this chase and they looked like those three people that would be they would stop talking about the crime and they would just be like, I can't wait. Like all, hang on, all, how are all three of these people this good looking? Like, wait, yeah, what? there was a shootout. There was millions of dollars stolen, but uh, and um, fifty-seven people died. But news, this just in: drop dead gorgeous people. Look at these cheekbones. Look at look. Just look at those cheekbones. How are you going to find those cheekbones guilty? All I'm saying, if. Uh, if, if the uh, EMT worker looked like Isaac Gonzalez, I'm throwing myself down a flight of stairs. <laughs> um, and canceled. Yes. Uh, anyway, I thought this looked like fun. Like this to me, more, much more so than space robots endlessly like punching landmarks uh, well, with their squishy metal faces. I'm, I'm very happy to see Michael Bay doing stuff like this. The, the greatest moment in film history is the uh, bank heist shootout in Heat, right? Sure, sure. Of course. Number one. Best best part of any movie. This movie looked like two hours of that, so it's like kind of count me in. Also, um, I, I really enjoy uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's, he's everywhere. He's, he's Aquaman. He's he's. Or he's Black Manta in the Aquaman films. Mm-hmm, he's Doctor mm-hmm. Manhattan. He's he's yes. the Candyman now. I don't know. The guy's freaking great. Yeah. So yeah, Take it I'm. Over. Uh, uh, th- this looks surprisingly. You know, Michael Bay. Uh, I'm glad Michael Bay gets as many drones. Good. Michael Bay, Michael Bay can have as many drones as he wants as a treat. That that, that I'm I'm for it. All right, that's it for the news, Hal. That's all I got. And not a, it took an hour of news, not a minute too soon. All right, let's then let's cruise through these things that we yeah. watched then. Uh, coming up, uh, ooh, get ready, it's spooky season, and we watched Halloween Kills. Lon, Michael Myers, and his William Shatner mask are back. Oh, behave. Oh, behave. Uh, different Michael Myers. Halloween Kills is available Schwing. on... It's that one. 
Oh no, yes. it's the other. It's the other. Uh, it's available on Peacock and oh, Lon. You know what? We've talked about it several times. I finally pulled Are you waiting up. for me to do a, a love guru impression? Because I don't know what he says. Oh, well. It, I'm it's the also, love guru. I'm offensive. Yes, it, it's also, yeah, it's in some uh, offensive, <laughs> like, East Indian accent. Uh, but uh, Halloween Kills Lawn, I ponied up for the Peacock uh, premium. Oh, wow. Look at this guy. Look at this yeah. guy. It's Peacocktober, after all. Yes, it is Peacock. <laughs> Peacock does have a pretty good roster of horror films. I have been saying for a while to anyone who'd listen, which is not a lot of people, that mm-hmm. uh, Peacock actually has one of the better libraries, like not folks, not necessarily talking about original content. I do think there is some good original content on Peacock. We talked about yeah. Girls 5 Eva. We talked about Rutherford Falls. There are good original Peacock shows. But I'm talking about in, in terms of depth of catalog. Like, they've got a lot of classic shows. They've got a lot of, like, other random stuff you might have forgotten about. They do have a pretty deep movie library as well. They're drawing on a lot of universal uh, Universal's library, which is pretty extensive. So, mm-hmm. yeah... People are kind of down on Peacock, and in fact, Halloween Kills did really well in theaters in part because they think people don't have Peacock and so weren't watching it there, even though it would be cheaper to get a month of Peacock and watch Halloween Kills there than go see it in a theater. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't. It seems like people are people are pretty slow to Peacock, so I'm glad you've gotten on board. I, I, I am now uh, witnessing the beautiful plumage of the cock. Of the cock. And... I you can go back uh, and watch Mr. Mercedes too, which I think is pretty good. That's on oh, Peacock. gotcha. That's on Peacock now with Brendan Gleeson. Oh yeah, Brendan Gleeson. Yep. Uh, so Halloween Kills. It's a continuation of Halloween from a couple of years ago with uh, Laurie Strode. She's being rushed to the hospital after lighting the house on fire in the first one, leaving Michael Myers to die. And I, spoiler alert, he doesn't die. He's no. uh, at, evil dies tonight, though. We're told. We're promised yes. repeatedly. So he, he definitely. So how? I I'm assuming this movie ends with Michael Myers stone dead, never to return. Because because evil dies tonight. So you know what? I'm not going to spoil anything except. Why well, would just assume? Because we, how we could, he kills. It's even. It's sort of even. It's made. It's pretty explicit. We may see another Halloween movie. Oh, I can't believe it. Yes. What are they going to call that? What Halloween ends or something ridiculous like that? Um, more Halloween. That's what they should. Why would next Halloween? They should do with the Friday naming structure. Next Halloween, Halloween after next. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know. Ice Cube has a Friday 4 concept in mind. I don't know what his title is going to be. Friday in space? Because we got Friday, we got next Friday, we got Friday after next. Last Friday? That would, to me, last Friday feels like where you go next. A couple Fridays from now? Yeah, you could you could do that way. Summer Fridays, summer Fridays, casual Friday. Crossover, Friday and Friday the 13th. <laughs> it's just, it's so just, you get Ice Cube smoking a fat spliff with Jason. Now wait, okay. I the your conception for what a Friday, Friday the 13th franchise crossover would be. Very different from mine. Because to me, I'm seeing Craig has got to keep the neighborhood safe from Jason. Craig's the the final bro in in this movie. And Jason's the nemesis. You're seeing 
Craig and, and Jason are on the same side. Yes. So are they, is Craig a murderer now? Is he killing campers? No, maybe they quote unquote bury the hatchet. Oh boy. Uh, now is Mike is Mike Epps returning for this one? Yes, Mike Epps. Uh, uh, Chris Tucker is back. No, it, Chris Tucker's back. He's he's a, he's a minister now. He's not doing this nonsense. No, anymore. he's back. That's well, why Mike Epps had to he, step in. He's a minister. He's he was on Jeffrey Epstein's flight log. Did, did Chris Tucker like step the way he doesn't? He's like a religious guy now. He doesn't do comedy anymore. Well, he's back. I don't know how they got him, but he's back. Also, also, okay. uh, listen. Also, if you say Chris Tucker's back, I take you at your word. They're going to bring back. They're going to hologram or CGI um, Tiny Lister. Oh no, that's disrespectful. I know, but talk to them. I didn't do it. I'm not. And I'm not. Now, what about John Witherspoon? Is he is he also going to be? Computer composited, the late great John Witherspoon. Yes, he, he he goes he goes in the toilet and he comes out. Oh, you're gonna want to give it 30, 45 minutes. And yeah. Jason goes in there and it's and he gets stunned by the smell. That's how they take Jason out at the end of this one. Is John with the and power then, of John Witherspoon's and then, uh, and then BMs. I, how about Regina yes. King? That's my last question. Is she also oh. reprising her role? The queen herself, Oscar yes. Oscar hostess uh, Regina King. Academy-nominated director Regina King. Yes, um, American Express uh, spokeswoman Regina King. She's Not coming only, back as well. Yes, she's going to reprise her role and directing the film. Wow, she's directing the Friday, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the meets film. Friday the thir- next Friday, Friday the Thirteenth. Jason haunts the block. Ooh, Jason, Jason the haunts the block is very good, pal. Jason haunts the block is very good. That's that is what and and Jason and Ice Cube are uh, spoiler. After fighting it out the whole movie, they share a nice big fat doobie. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that all Friday movies have to end that. Way. So Halloween Kills continues on. <laughs> That's the, our the review, night. folks. Lori Strode. Do we have to summarize anymore? Can I just jump ahead to the part where we're like, this is a piece of shit and I didn't like it? Did you like this? Yes, I liked it fine. Oh, it, it was too chaotic. Listen, there were too many things. Like, we jumped around time-wise too much. The the old recreations did not feel like they were from previous. I did. I do want to take shout-out. Loomis is depicted in this in this film, uh, Donald Pleasance from the 1978 Halloween. There is a depiction of Dr. Loomis in this. Yes. I assumed it was repurposed footage or some sort of visual effect. It is a prosthetic. They just had a guy who looks like him, and they gave him some makeup and prosthetics. And in re- that's a real, that is just a man's face. That is not a visual effect to make him look like Loomis. That's very They well didn't done. do CGI, Grandma It's not a deep Tarkin. fake. It's not CGI. That is makeup. That is practical. That is just a guy who looks like Donald Pleasance. Oh, because uh, when they bring back Tiny Lister for Friday meets Friday the Thirteenth, they're going to Grand Moff Tarkin the thing. Right, they're going to see get a full CGI his his full face CGI. Yeah, um, he's going to be a hologram. Shout out to that guy that kind of looks like Doctor. <laughs> yeah, which uh, well done to you, sir. Way to look like seventies character actor Donald Pleasance. This movie w- was not great, and also no, it's there awful. were like it's awful. 
it's chaotic in how they tell the story. Like you don't, you're not able to settle in and creep into the horror. But the, the, here's what why I here, let me disagree with you completely for one. I haven't moment. had to talk yet, so there's nothing to disagree. No, with. but uh, the the yes, I'm gonna. This trumps everything you're saying. You're about to say, Lon, because <laughs> right. what do you come to Halloween for? To see people get stabbed to death. Do we see that? We sure do. Check the movie does its job. That no. The the here's the thing. Here's the thing. Folks, listen. Shut up. Give for a it second. to us. Here's the thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Michael Myers in this movie is not scary, but that's not I'm not that's not a value judgment. That's not like they're not trying to make him scary. They're making him cool. They they this movie sees him as like an action icon. You know the the character that they shoot <laughs> Michael Myers like in this is Riddick, where there's a lot of like it's raining and he's he's there and you think he's beaten down, but he's going to come kill every single person in one fell swoop and you're not even going to see him coming. And it's like they, he's badass in this. And like, that's not scary. That's they. It's like they it, they it's like they got the wrong genre. Like, no, no, you've got it set to action. It's horror. Like, it, I, I really feel like it's just not even an attempt at a horror movie. Like he's John Wicking whole streets full of people. And that was I read a thing. weird. Yeah. And I read a thing. There, so Halloween ends the next one. I was kidding before. I know this isn't the last one. There's one more coming out. It's called Ooh. Halloween Ends. It's coming out next year. And that one's a four-year time jump. How are they going to do a four-year time jump? He's an unstoppable killing machine in this. Like, what's... Mm-hmm. How are they going to even put him back in a sanitarium? It just doesn't even make any sense. It's like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I like a, a slash of a... If this film was just cool, fun, gory kills, I would be into it. But it's like mm-hmm. this really self-serious... It wants you to take it seriously. It's like, this is a film and it's about mob violence and it's about the yes. way misinformation spreads through a community and it's about, you know... Anthony Michael Hall is playing Tommy Doyle as like an ivermectin Facebook guy and he's like leading this this wild mob to kill Michael Myers. And it's all this political, social commentary bullshit yes. that doesn't add up to a fucking thing, but it's trying to make you feel like this movie's about shit. And then the kills are like these really dumb, goofy, cartoonish. It's all this like silly people acting like assholes and grabbing cheese knives to fight Michael Myers or shooting themselves in the head or like corny Mm -hmm. nonsense. And it's like, well, what is this movie? Is it a campy gore fest or is it a serious film about mob violence? And like, why am I watching it? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Tonally, it is all over the place because Anthony Michael Hall is like encouraging a mob to commit extra judicial killings, and like there are there are absolutely shades of like, oh, is this commentary about January sixth? Yeah, and like then, what? Like, but it doesn't go anywhere leading I know, to anything. I, yeah, it doesn't. It, it's like it's a red herring that pops up, and we're following it virulently, and then it's like, oh, Nothing. okay, that w- that happened, and then also, you. Know, you know, just because there is the heavy-handed mob, like what happens when the mob mentality takes, o- takes over, and I thought there was just like a slight shade of like, oh, this is like January 6th type moment where like the mob is coming up the stairs and the police are trying to push them back. Sure. But all these – so this – I probably should not say this either, but like um, Mike Myers, uh, th- there's a scene where like – 
you know, I'm not spoiling too much. Listen, he kills a lot of people. He kills a bunch of firemen. I'm like, oh, geez, that's like, he, he just 9-11'd all these firemen, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like January 6th and 9-11. Like, you know, that's uh, that's it. Halloween Kills is January 6th and 9-11. But, you know, fun, movie. like a fun horror movie. Like, I don't know, it just, it doesn't, like, it doesn't have the fun, campy vibe of a, of a, like a late Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. It has the, like, self-serious vibe of, like, the first Halloween, but it's not scary. So it doesn't yeah. work on either level. Let me ask you this, Lon. There were a couple of moments where Michael Myers killed people and then posed them in right. either comical or weird positions. Yeah. Has he always done that? No. That's that's what that's what I mean. Like they're making stuff up that doesn't fit or make sense. Like no, he's just a slasher. Like he just murders people. Yeah, like Michael Myers cosplayed his victims. I mean, sometimes they like whole, you know, we like hang them up or like stick them to the wall like that's in the first one it's like it's like he's like a child there's a line will Patton, i think has it in this movie where it's like mm -hmm. he's a child in a man's body but he with the soul of an animal or something it's like it's that yes. it's like a curious mm -hmm. kid playing with like a toy except he's doing that with human bodies like it's that yeah, he, vibe but this uh, one he's like Hannibal all of the sudden he posed them like he was at the Sears photo studio yeah he's or making something. like tableaus weird. now and it's like no yes. he's supposed to be like he's like six years old mentally like it's I honestly I know these movies take a lot of heat like most people don't think they're very good I think the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes are way better than these because he really tries to go back and make Michael Myers like unknowable and scary again. And like he got mm -hmm. Tyler Maine, that like huge wrestler to play him. And he's like mm -hmm. unpredictable and it's like freaky and like it's also really violent, but in a troubling way. And like those movies are so much more intense and scary. Like it really feels like a horror movie. And this felt like. I don't know, kind of like a goof, but not in a fun way, like a somber goof. Also, if how are you gonna make Michael a somber Myers, goof? Oh yeah, it is a little bit of a somber goof, but I like still, uh, like Mickey's funeral. It's a somber goof. I did, <laughs> uh, and a somber Pluto and uh, Donald. Yeah, Donald but, really also down in the uh, depths. Oh, just the waterworks. Just but, listen. And uh, Minnie showed up drunk. Well, look, autoerotic asphyxiation. None of us thought he was going to go that way. We all thought with it would be old tail. age. With his own with tail. With his own tail. Mickey, how could you? Oh, he choked himself to death on his own tail. But Michael Myers, it, they try to kill him so much. And then he's like, he... He's spoiler. He's unkillable. But spoiler alert, know. folks! You can't kill because he's the. That's what I mean. He's like a brand, not a villain in this movie. Right, right. But they were alluding to the fact, like, is he a demon? Then, like, where does he? I feel like they owe us an explanation. If you can't kill him, and he's from hell. Oh, they'll try. I'm sure in the next one, and they'll do it in a way that's like winking at the mythology, like Cult of Thorn. I don't know. Somebody said that. <laughs> you know, like everything is always like. Like, we're ignoring the sequels, but here's 18 shout-outs to all the sequels. Like, fuck you. Yeah. I, I'm just, like, so tired of this shit. I really am. So, here's the thing. I think Lon went in. I, I think Lon came in here with his expectations too high because I, I'm like, you know what? It's not good. It's chaotic. I just have baseline. And, uh, I, I like a simple, dumb horror movie. 
It's chaotic and tonally all over the place, but people got stabbed to death, and like that's all I expect. Everything else is just details at some point. You are undervaluing horror as a genre. Like I think when you do stuff like that, you're like, oh, it's a slasher movie. It's not expected to be good. But many slasher movies are great. That's not it's on not me. It's not a slasher movie. It's a Halloween movie. It's a slasher. Halloween is the like the greatest of all the slashers. Yes, but now it's become its own genre. It's a Halloween movie where all I know is The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers. But a lot of them Myers. are better than this. Even the 2018 one is better than this one. The 2018 one is better than this. Yes, I agree. And this that is one's lesser, not even that and good. It's... And H2O is better than this. Mm-hmm. And I would say Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, is better than this. I would say Halloween 4 is better than this. Maybe I'm just ashamed because I ponied up for Peacock Premium. and uh, There's what a I lot of great was... stuff. I'm going to send you some recommendations. There's a lot Thank of terrific you, content. And you get The Office! Halloween Kills is available on Peacock Premium as we speak. We also watched a horror program of a different sort, Dope Sick, <laughs> what a transition. on Hulu. Real life horror. And I, I, I really like this. I, there are four episodes up now. And uh, I thought this, because, you know, this story needs to be told. And I think this uh, tells it well in a compelling way that, uh, and there are, uh, I think we talked about this briefly, but it, is reminiscent of Steven Soderbergh's traffic in as much as taking different storylines, tying them together, different sides of the uh, traffic, the, the war on drugs, for better, for worse, and this, uh, the opioid epidemic uh, from uh, the front lines where just everyday people are trying to medicate pain, the doctors prescribing it, the people who are with the government who are uh, looking into any malfeasance and the biggest villains of them all, uh, Big Pharma, and uh, in this instance, the Sackler family who pushed uh, OxyContin. Uh, so, and in the Sackler family, my, I probably my favorite thing about Dope Sick Lawn, there are a, a lot of things that I like about it, but Michael Stuhlbarg's performance, he Oh, is, really? Inter- I'm inter- it's interesting to me that you said that, because he's making... Folks, Stuhlbarg is making some fucking choices. and A big choice. But what I think Stuhlbarg is... Every scene, I feel like he adds a new, like, here's a thing about Richard Sackler. <laughs> but the way he talks, his character choice on how to play this, it's so monotone and it's, focused. It's small. It's also, it's, it's like... Sm- it's very small. He's almost whispering. It's almost like he's playing him like this conniving, uh, unscrupulous mob boss who knows he's got this plan and this power, and he is going to enact this plan of world domination with this pain medication. I had said on Twitter, uh, Bond villain is where I felt like that. Like that's it's like I could see it, that because even in that same way, like a lot of the like there are those big bombastic Bond villains, but then there's also the kind of like he gets shown into their lair and they're like they're so powerful they don't have to move or speak up. It's like. 
Well, welcome. Welcome to my lair, Mr. Bond. It's curious to see you here. I think that's what he's sort of doing is like, you have to lean in to listen to him. Like, everybody else has to be quiet so that, like, Mr. Stuck, Dr. Sack, excuse me. Do- they always have to call Dr. Sackler is talking. Yes. Um, and it, 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 I got so curious about this performance that I even looked up footage of the real Richard Sackler, which is not that easy to find. There's not a ton, mm-hmm. he's not like a very public figure. But he sure. doesn't, from what I could find, it is definitely a thing that, Stuhlbarg is doing like he's purposefully doing this choice and it is a big choice and like I don't know if it's fully I don't know if it's fully realistic and I think that takes me to my biggest my biggest issue I I agree with almost everything you're saying especially the comparison to Soderbergh's traffic I feel like in the same way it's like a really compelling look at this topic and it manages to do it in a way that feels almost documentary-like, but always through character. He's, like, got these mm-hmm. different characters, and he's always bringing you into these different perspectives through them. Rosaria Dawson at the DEA, or Michael Keaton as this sort of small-town doctor who gets addicted himself. Uh, Caitlin Deaver is terrific as the, the, the coal miner who uh, yep. also gets hooked on it. Anyway, uh, you're, you're, you're taking all the Peter Sarsgaard and his partners, his lawyers, you're taking all these different takes on it, but it always mm-hmm. feels natural. It never feels like... You've got to jump around to tell the bigger story of, of what happened with the pills. It always feels natural to these characters' narratives, which is not easy to do. Uh, Danny Strong mm-hmm. is writing it, and it's a really well-put-together, well-organized, thoughtful presentation of all of this information. Having said that, yes. uh, it does have a little after-school special flavor to it. I think it's a, it's a little too strong at times. Like I think subtle is the way to go with addiction stories. We've just seen it so many times and it is tropey. And I think that the way to get around that is to sort of underplay it and don't make the actors do too much Mm -hmm. so that you don't get what you get here, which is, and look, Michael Keaton, Caitlin Deaver, these are dynamite actors. I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on them, but uh, I, there, there's just, just so much of the sweaty shakes actually depicting being dope sick and fiending for drugs and like I'm going to tear this office apart looking for my pills. A little of that goes a long way and I think we see a whole lot of that in dope sick and it's at a certain point it's just like you just just pull back. You don't need to sell me on it. I I, I know what opioid addiction does. I, I hear what you're saying because there was a point like we there are four episodes up. I watched all four of them and like there was a point where I'm like, wait, how many episodes is this? Because it looks like um, like a character that we were following is already hit rock bottom. And like, how much further is there to go? And we're only halfway through. We're halfway through, but there, there's gonna there's gotta be an upswing. I mean, I I, I don't yeah. think this series is gonna end with all of these characters dead in the gutter. I think some of them are going to have a a, a third act. Stuhlbarg is a little he is a little bit melodramatic here, but I love. It's big that they're casting the Sacklers as evil because it is so insidious and evil. It is, this is such yeah, a no, dark listen, tale. No, they're and real it, life it, villains. Nobody's arguing that. And and I'm not even against depicting them as- You're trying to give them a free pass over here. They're fiends, like they're fiendish. And, and honestly, his performance, if it was in isolation and the rest of the show was all more realistic, I think I would, I think I would go with it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just purely that I don't know. There's some elements of this that I think are very like theatrical, and I think that it would probably be better served. Traffic is a good example of it's 
Soderbergh is decidedly not theatrical. Like, it's not melodramatic. Like, you get a few scenes of the teens being strung out, but it's like we're, it's very, he's underplaying these scenarios. And I think that that's, that's very smart on his part. And I think that yeah, a little, a little bit more subtlety would have probably gone a long way here, especially with Keaton. Like, I, I just, I just, it, it's not Michael Keaton's fault. He's terrific, but yeah, even though Keaton's character has a big journey to go on, uh, 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 character-wise, I, I thought acting-wise, he handle, he handles it with a plum. I thought he, like, this character does seem like transformed, but true to it. But again, it's a lot. To play with, we're not used to seeing Michael Keaton like this. No, I don't. I don't like it, frankly. Uh, no one get wants better. To see our get friend. better soon, Michael. Please. Yeah, but um, I really like it, and in as much as the, I think it hits the notes that with emphasis that it needs to hit because this is not a story for the faint of heart. There's so much lying malfeasance and death and destruction resonating out of this epidemic. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not going to snort Oxycontin now. This this made my mind dump. I was <laughs> um, on the fence, and then I watched this show, and I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to return those 80s that I got. Back in the early 2000s, um, I, I dated a girl who popped Oxys. Nice. How'd that go? How'd that work out for you? It was a br- it was brief. Our, our, uh, it was e- easy and breezy. The dating, yes. You know, let's listen. How now? She, she a confirmed like, wife guy, but back in the day, oh, folks, listen. Listen, you, you listen. play the field. You're well, listen. You know. You're dating. You're dating in the early two thousands in Los Angeles. The early two thousands in Los Angeles was a very <laughs> special time. Place you might to come be across alive, a recreational people. pill. <laughs> uh, if you weren't there, you can't really understand L.A. in 2002, folks. Listen, Marcy's Playground was on the radio. <laughs> Moving on. the uh, Okay, picture this. I was at the K-Rock Weenie Roast. <laughs> um, but, Everybody's uh, yeah. talking about Donnie Darko. You make a good, <laughs> you make a good point that... Uh, it is melodramatic, but I'm, I, I didn't mind it. I feel like this this suits the subject matter, and I and I like the villain. Uh, now I'm repeating myself, but I like the villainization of the Sacklers here, um, and the showing their opulence because they're like th- that's another thing. It, every every time we cut to this family that became billionaires off of people's off of manipulating sickness. And um, and uh, pl- and rigging the game when it comes to the medical industry, they are in these white marbled halls with art with beautiful, pristine million dollar art collections, and uh, a- and meanwhile they are scheming to just get rich off of people's death, and I. I- I love that they're that they're sticking it to this family, so and painting them as these monsters. Yeah, I'm sure they're. Ooh, I'm sure they're so mad. Ooh, those sacklers. Well, 
I'm sure they're watching it on Hulu. Just, oh, you got I me, Stoolbar. So. No, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that Sackler's like, oh, man. Spoiler alert, folks. They don't uh, give a shit. They're just ro- rolling around in their billions of dollars, right? And diving into it Scrooge McDuck style. Yeah. They're, they're, they're wiping their tears with their bearer bonds. Yeah, like they're wiping their ass with uh, that little blue boy painting. But anyway, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the girl with the pearl earring right under Richard Sackler's anus at this moment. Dope Sick is on Hulu. Check it out if you are so inclined. We watched one more thing this week. Oh, uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed uh, this documentary, The Velvet Underground on Apple+. Yeah, Plus. this rule. This was fantastic. I loved this. The Velvet Underground was a band. You heard and it here th- first, folks. And this documentary really made the music a big star of the show. And you don't always get that in a documentary about a band or a musician. But the way the music rose and became like just a part, not just a soundtrack, but took over certain scenes and certain moments, and you just were in that moment with these iconic Velvet Velvet Underground Songs and their like that uh, their, their uh, discography, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's oh, like I was I was with it and I was feeling it. The the mu- uh, yeah, the film was made by by Todd Haynes, great great filmmaker. It's his first feature documentary. He did an amazing job, and and yeah, like he's really taking you through first how the the band came together but then how their sound came together like well here's what Lou Reed was bringing in and here's what John Cale was bringing in and here's what Mo Tucker mm-hmm. was bringing in and like following all these different threads and and the you know the the Warhol element and how the factory was influencing them and then what energy Nico brought in and like it's just so cool like we've seen so many everything is like behind the music eyes now where it's like it's always the the you know the walk hard you know the the, the Bohemian Rhapsody it's like came yes. from nothing huge runaway success but it all comes too fast it comes crashing down and then we either get and they died young uh, or you know amazing second act like you know like maybe it's Rocket Man or maybe it's Bohemian Rhapsody it's like those are your two choices mm-hmm. and and to see this not go that way at all and not really get focused on the this then this then that of the band and honestly he really hustles through like my I would say my personal favorite Velvet Underground album is Loaded which is their last one which is the one that Almost nobody, like John Cale was gone for the band. Mo right. Tucker was pregnant, so she didn't play on that one. It was mostly just like Lou Reed's first solo outing. I happen to like mm-hmm. that one the best. Very little time spent on that one. Like you kind of hustle through the later two albums and then all the solo journeys are like basically one montage because he's really just focused on here was how their sound developed with the background of the New York experimental avant-garde art world of the 60s is, is, as the backdrop. And it's it's awesome. It's just really interesting to see. And he's got this incredible amount of primary footage from that era that they yeah. were shooting themselves at the factory and, and those those kinds of, you know, venues. And, and, you know, they were surrounded by artists and filmmakers that were constantly being recorded. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just cool to see a, a really great filmmaker get to play around with all of that uh, content and and remix it in this interesting way, and it's remixed beautifully and edited together um, in a 
in a wonderful like uh, journey here. It's super stylized. Like you have the the new interviews juxtaposed with old footage, and then you have the old footage just juxtaposed with uh, uh, some of the Andy Warhol uh, captured uh, footage from the uh, from the factory, and just exploring that whole scene and that world. And then uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but oh my god, I was just I loved. The uh, the comparison between the Andy Warhol factory and the Velvet Underground, and then uh, the West Coast uh, kind of kings of the scene, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, oh, the of, mothers Invention. of Invention. And I just yeah, yeah. I just loved how they described that rivalry, and it, oh, well, it was just delicious. It's interesting too because I think that you know, like so much of the '60s narrative became the hippies, like that that yes. like that was the counterculture, and that was like, if you were a young person in the 1960s, you were a flower kid, and you were at Woodstock jamming to the dead and smoking weed, and, and it's like, you know, this this was a, this was the New York art world, and these people were like very much about like making commercial art that they would then sell, and it was mm-hmm. like, they were not do they were not smoking weed, they were doing cocaine and heroin, and it was mm-hmm. just like night and day culturally really different, and they've got this really hilarious, like there's, there's also great stuff, all the surviving members of the band are like participating in the movie, so they're talking to Kale, they're talking to Maureen Tucker, um, and she's got this great... A uh, bit where she's talking about how they hated hippies and they hated that that <laughs> yep. whole movement and and it's just it's cool to see and remember that no there was just like today it was this you know like crazy divergent like there were there were all sorts of different things going on the sixties was not this uniform everybody had like that one take on what the message was and and what the vibe was and yeah was, just like today you got emos and goths right and it was like you know so like there was also this other <laughs> movement going on in New York that had nothing to do with you know the what the hippies were talking about just like you were saying the New York art scene was like darker grittier more cynical whereas uh, it was the, also like the, capitalist like in a very fundamental way like Andy Warhol mm-hmm. like that was what he was doing, part of his art was not just the making art, but the commodifying it. And, like, that's what a lot of this even movie is about, is, like, he wasn't just, oh, I'd like to put a band together to be a cool band because I like music. Like, that had nothing to do with it. It was a branding right. thing, and it was like, he's going to make these installations, and he needs music there, and he could put his name on it, and now he, like, owns this thing, and it's part of his brand and his marketing, even though he doesn't play music and he just found these guys to play these songs. And and so I think that, to me, that's part of what's so interesting about this is it's a totally different take on making art and making music from that same era. I mean, and they're, ta- they're interacting in some ways. Like, you've got John Cale in this talking about how influenced they were by the Beatles and that kind mm-hmm. of pop music that they were hearing. It was just like this very different take on what the message of it was going to be and what the the vibe of it was going to be like it's not the it wasn't this uniform like california dream in and this is the dawning of the age of aquarius was that right. was the only thing on anybody's mind like that was just this one specific kind of vibe and there were all these other cultures going on. I, I wonder nowadays uh how familiar are later generations with the velvet underground have they i mean i think it depends on it, your your future take like if you got into uh, alternative rock or indie rock, uh, yeah. they're a, an extremely important sort of branch off in rock Seminal. history. Like, 
I think it depends on your sort of what kind of music you are into. Because if you're not specifically into those kinds of like guitar rock and independent rock and like what in the 90s would have been called alt rock, uh, maybe not. Because it wasn't like they ever had like a huge crossover mainstream like what would be the radio Velvet Underground song? Like maybe Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, probably the one song most people would know. Like Venus in Furs is a great song that is a classic that they play a bunch in this movie and kind of follow how it came together. But I don't think Waiting that's a song man, like... maybe, but, it, but it's about a drug dealer. So, But that's not like a top 40 hit. That's like you got to kind of know a level deeper of rock music to know that. Yeah, and Velvet Underground, it's a sound that I think like really defined like late 60s, early 70s, cool. It's there's if you are not familiar, so worth listening to the Velvet Underground and uh yeah, this this documentary really takes The Velvet you, Underground and Nico and it's the one with the Andy Warhol banana on the cover. That's yeah. the first one to get into if you're going to start. Absolutely. I I shouted out Loaded. That like that came like that was their last album. I just happen to like that's the one with Sweet Jane and uh, Oh Sweet Nothing is on that one. One more thing, since I am a noted wife guy, um, uh, yeah. my, my, my wife and I's uh, wedding song that we danced to uh, was uh, Lou Reed's Satellite of Love. Ah, very nice. That's a great song. Yeah, well very nice. Uh, Luke from Lou Reed's album Transformer. Also, mm-hmm. you might know Lou Reed from uh, Perfect Day, featured in the Train sure. Spotting soundtrack. So anyway, uh, satellite of love the the inspiration for uh, the mystery science theater three thousand setting as well. They're on the satellite of love. Oh my goodness! Did you know that? Yeah. So it's a no, Reed, I did not. It's a, a Lou Reed reference. Yeah. There you go. Well done. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is a really cool, well made uh, journey. This documentary, like musical journey, uh, well edited, artistic, um, from Todd Haynes, the Velvet Underground on Apple Plus, and that's all the stuff we watched this week. Owl Nation, Hoot Hoot, Where Am I Go Hooligans At? Starburns Audio, thank you for having us. Travis Reeds, thank you for producing us. Jason Kay, thank you for opening up the song with some sweet guitar licks. Lon Harris, what do you got? That's me. Just uh, find me on Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to keep up with whatever nonsense I'm working on. And also, listen to my other podcast. It's called Garmin Shosia. I've spelled it enough times. I'm done doing that. I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored with spelling it. Uh, like Garmin Bozia from Twin Peaks, but with show instead of Bose. Uh, that's me and Drew Grant. We talk about uh, silly nonsense. We actually double up sometimes on stuff we've talked about here, but she always has different takes from Hal. So I feel like it's a remix, you know? Like it's not, we're not cannibalizing. If you want to hear that much of me, I'm not judging you. So those are the two places to go. Never too much lawn. And you can find me. That can be too much. Listen, even I can admit that. Well, I, I disagree. Uh, you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, join me over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick, where we'll have uh, all sorts of fun. I want to thank you for listening, everybody. When am I When am I coming over onto Twitch? You keep We keep talking and you're like, you got to come on Twitch. And then I'm like, let's do it. And then I hear nothing. Um, maybe next Wednesday we can do a little movie watch along for a spooky season. I'm in. Let's do it. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, so you might, uh, you, you might uh, run into the Binge Boys uh, over there Who knows, there as well. folks? Uh, who, who knows? Uh, appreciate you hanging out with us today, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Binge Boys! 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 Bin
Beach Boys, 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 Be